Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. Remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I've been sleeping again lately. I wake up. It's weird. I've been falling asleep. I don't know why. I've been falling asleep like on the couch at like 8. And then Joanne's like, get up. And I'm missing all the TV shows because she puts them on the DVR. And I just fall asleep. And I wake up. And at like 10 o'clock at night, I'll, go, I'll get up. And we'll go upstairs. And then she's asleep. So I can go upstairs. And last night, I woke up. And I'm sitting there. And... First of all, I always hear trains. I live in Burbank, and we're like six blocks from a train station. You never hear trains except at night. But I was hearing helicopters. And I always think, because in L.A., when the helicopters are flying around, it's a bad thing. Like, I was at a play at Griffith Park last summer. And all of a sudden, me and my buddy, Joff and Joanne, were there. And we're hanging out, and there's the play. And it's outside, and there's these helicopters going around. And they're flashing the lights. You can tell the actors are getting pissed off. Well, they're looking for someone, and no lie... It's an outside crowd seating on the grass. Some guy just sits down next to us. And I swear to God, I think it's the guy they were looking for because he just showed up out of nowhere. And then when we left, he just walked with the crowd. But I always think that like last night there was a helicopter in Burbank. The Burbank isn't a lot of crime. I always think, who are they looking for? I mean, I always, it's just, I'm always thinking it just fascinates me. It's like when I hear a, a siren late at night, I go, I wonder if someone got a DUI. And if they did, if I know him, I'm a sick person. Anyway, we have a great show. We have a very funny man, man. He's been in the business for a long time and he's, he's an ex football player. And that's Bruce Baum. How you doing, Bruce? Pretty good. But how about you? I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever think that you ever, do you ever not sleep at night and your brain starts racing? And oh you, you yeah, think- it's really tough. It's, but you know, think, you know, I used to uh, write things down on a piece of paper with pen i'd wake up in the middle of the night and in the dark lean over and write and then in the morning you look at it and you go i can't you ask your wife do you do, do you recognize any of these letters I, now with uh, cell phones i can wake up and hit the, the little note thing and 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 put things down and then i realized the next morning i never would have remembered this thank goodness i wrote this down see it's so funny and people who haven't done comedy don't understand that that we think of some of the best bits when we're asleep or i always think when we're driving because right. you sit there and I think, and but driving now, you can't pick up your phone. And, you know, but I think it's because our mind is at a different consciousness. We're like, we're not, and that sucks to say we're not aware when we're driving. Well, it also doesn't stop. I mean, sometimes it'll start and you go, stop, yeah. stop, stop. <laughs> Especially when you're trying to sleep. You go, stop. I, I know. And you sit there. I, I should look a little later because I did write notes that I haven't looked at again, you know, last night. Like just, you know, but you fade off. And, 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 you, and, and the lesson you learned in the past was you keep saying, well, I'll remember that. Yeah. And you go, and, and just in case, I'm going to have a key word, ironing board. That will right. remind me. Then you wake up in the morning, you remember ironing board, but you don't remember what the hell it was supposed to remind you of. That happens to me all the time because <laughs> I sit there. You're right. I'm on the pillow. And I, I, and it's it's like we have an internal we have an internal uh, conversation. We're like, oh, yeah, I'll remember that. You know, I'll remember that. And then you sit there and then you start to doze. Yeah. What, if like, what if I don't? And then, <laughs> and then you're out. And then you wake up and I go, crap. I didn't remember it. That happens to me. And I do that with guests because I sit there with a phone. I'll sit there and go, I'll be thinking, okay, what guests can I go for? You know, who should I go for? And then I'll sit there and then I'll forget. So now I do the same thing. I wake up and I I do the phone and I type in the name. And then, of course, what happens then is because like this today, I woke up at like five in the morning. I fell back asleep. But then I wake up at five in the morning and then I look at my phone and there's people from back east who sent me word with friends requests. So then I play the damn word friends request and I'm like, I need to go back to sleep. So now, now you, you grew up now you played football at UCLA, but now, now were you an athlete first or a comic first when you were a kid? What, what, you know, when I was a kid, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Okay. I grew up in Sherman Oaks and Van Nuys, the mean streets of Sherman Oaks. Right. And, uh, I went to Van Nuys high school. Uh, and I, being a comedian wasn't an option then. There was no, you know, there was maybe a dozen comics in America, and you knew them all. Guys like, you know, Alan King and Corbin Monica, Corbin Monica, that you'd see on The Tonight Show and the game shows. So, uh, but my parents never had music records. They always had comedy albums. Jonathan Winters, Early Pryor, Cosby, uh, Jonathan Winters. They would have those albums. So but they never really listened to music. So... And my parents were always, if uh, if we were in bed, and this is when I was, you know, anywhere, you know, from seven to through high school, if there was a comedian on TV, if we were in bed and a comic was on The Tonight Show, my parents would say, you can come down, you can watch the comic, and if you're still awake, then you got to go back up to bed. So I don't think they knew they were raising a comic, but comedy was very important. Uh, 
Now, why do you think they love comedy so much? It's just I, I don't know. But when you know when I started doing something entertainment wise, the first thing I tried to be was a songwriter, singer songwriter. Back in the days of you know Cat Stevens and James Taylor and all, and my parents would not come and see me. They refused. They thought I was like you know hippie squared at that point. Uh, but when I decided to go into comedy, they uh, they came as often as they could. That's funny. And the reason I got into comedy was football. I was I wasn't recruited by anybody, but I got into UCLA. But you played in high school. I so played you, it. did you start? Were you a good? Yeah, player? yeah. I was at Van Nuys High. I think I made. I might have made all league or second team all league. Uh, what position? Guard. I was a small. As a matter of fact, when I pl- I was a guard when I played at UCLA. Back then, it was the Pac two. Okay. <laughs> no, no, it was <laughs> it was the back eight back then, but it was uh, I was the lightest guy, you know, backs and and defensive backs included. I think I played at one eighty three uh, pounds, by the way, yeah. uh, <laughs> not IQ. Uh, so uh, I played freshman ball there. Back then, you couldn't play varsity if you were freshman. Even Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, Bill Walton was on the freshman team. We used to get taped by Ducky Drape next to each other. His brother Bruce was on the varsity. And, uh, you know, people talk about was Wooden the greatest. You realize how many championships he would have had if freshmen could play? I know. You sit there, you know, I I, I sit there as a kid, and I still remember, because I was a big sports fanatic, and I still remember when UCLA, the the streak ended. Because, you know, as a kid, you know, growing up back east, you know, UCLA would always be on Saturday. They would always show it. And I still remember watching that game. And it was like, as a kid, I didn't know any, I was, Miles away. I wasn't a huge UCLA fan, but I was crushed because I was like, because you didn't. It's one of those things <laughs> right. you watch this game, and they were so amazing. Right. And 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 Kareem Abdul-Jabbar back then, Lou Alcindor couldn't play when he was a freshman. Bill Walton couldn't play as a freshman. Sidney Wicks. So he would have had a few more championships. Anyway, so I was playing football at UCLA. I made it as a walk-on, and I made the team and uh, I lettered and got to play. And then I decided I wanted. I wasn't going to be a pro, so I decided to transfer to UC Davis. Uh, to play football more. So I transferred up there, and for some reason, I never went out to the went out for the team. I started doing comedy right away. I would run in either by myself or I had a partner back there. It was my first cousin, Ken Eston, who became an Emmy Award-winning uh, uh, writer on Cheers and stuff. But we would run into the library or the dining commons, blow a horn or strum a banjo. Everybody would stop, especially like in the library. Do about two or three minutes of stand-up and then run away. Then we write a letter to the school paper saying there's there's someone running into the school library trying to make us laugh while we're studying, you know. Please stop them. It was it was me. And then we would write a letter from this health uh, uh, place, the uh, student health center, the next day saying there's people coming in with broken cheeks. They're laughing too hard. There were no comedy clubs. So, so what, what kind of material are you doing though? I mean, it's just it's so like just to sit there out of nowhere. You think? I mean, it's like. As I said, you heard the, the the albums, but just to sit there, like when I did started doing comedy, you went to the open bike and there was there was a club foundation. But for you guys, just to sit there and run in, I mean, what were people's reaction to it? They would just stop and look because they never seen anything like that before. We would do a funny little song. We would stop, do a little repartee, and then run away. Then we started getting hired in uh, in some of the bars around town, and we would go on and just do. I, I can't believe that we would do like two or three different forty five minute sets back then i mean we were just mugging and winking but we got through you know we would get like 20 bucks a night and that was a lot back then we'd split 20 bucks and you could go out with with somebody that weekend so uh then we moved to la and uh auditioned at the comedy store and kind of became regulars right off the bat so you specifically moved to la you left college did you graduate you know, college? I, I i went to UC. Or i went to uc davis graduated yeah. there with a ba in political science and then and then came back and went to uh graduate school in film at UCLA. My student films have Robin Williams, Dave Letterman, Denny Johnston, uh, Gary Shandling. I mean, I although we were all starting out together, so whenever I did a little film, those guys were in them. Was it the comedy that, that when you were doing the comedy up at UC Davis, is that what made you follow into the footsteps of going to the film school? Or, I mean, what made you I just, change your mind? And I mean, it's like, not change your mind, but it's, it's sort of different. You know, you're, you don't go, you know, you, you don't, what you went for, <laughs> you don't go to get your master's in film. It's just, it's very different. Right. And so what made you decide you wanted to do that? Well, uh, uh, when I got out of college, I wanted to be able to put on film what I saw in my head. I wanted to be like a film comic. So... I went to UCLA, and at the same time, we our first professional gig, really, when we came down from UC Davis, was at the Ice House, 
long before it was, it was when it was owned by Bob Stain, and it was music and comedy, not just comedy. And our first gig was opening up for Scatman Crothers. Awesome. It was great. And uh, George Miller happened to come in and do a guest set that week and uh, and see us and said, gee, you should, you should audition at the Comedy Store. So he got us an audition the same night as Dave Letterman, and we both became regulars right away. I met my wife, matter of fact, at that gig at the Ice House. You know, wow. She came in the to, into the audience. She wasn't working there, and we've been together... It'd be thirty-seven and a half years. So you, so you, you go to the comedy store, you start working there, and now you're still the comedy team, right? And now, so what happens with the comedy team? We're together for about two years. We do Merv Griffin a couple times and as a comedy team, right? And you were called what? Bomb and Eston. Okay. And uh, we did uh, American Bandstand. We did a couple uh, other shows that were out then, and uh, we just. Uh, I, th- I think Ken enjoyed writing more than performing, and, and I still enjoyed performing. And uh, so we kind of split up. You know, we still stayed first cousins. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he he went on, uh, you know, and wrote on Cheers and Taxi. And and uh, then I went on, kind of got seen at, at, on Make Me Laugh right away. Well, what was it like when you, I mean, I, I can imagine when you're already a comedy team and people know you as a comedy team and then, you're not a comedy team anymore, and it's it's not a crutch, but I mean, it's now it's if you if you bomb as a comedy team, you can say, hey, you know, right. yeah, you, what you, you screw up. up. Yeah. What happened? But when you're by yourself, yeah, I mean, it, was it scary for you? And how did you? And could you do the same material? Yeah, it was. Well, no, I, I there was a couple things I could bring along with me, you know, that, that worked with one, or I could like you know adjust it. But no, I had to start writing stuff real fast, and I almost got seen by Make Me Laugh almost right away. And started doing a lot of TV, which forced me to do a lot of writing. So, um, yeah, that's uh, kind of how that happened. His, his mother was the necessity was a mother of invention. It, it always seems in comedy, and I'm sure you've been through this, when you have to write, when someone says you need, you know, it was a time when I was on the Stalker Channing show, and they would say, you know, here's the episode this week, write a five-minute scene with you and Stockard. Well, when you know you have to do it, you do it. You know, it's same with material. I got another shot coming up. I need six new minutes. If you don't have that shot coming up, you take a little bit longer. Right. You know, the, the, the task takes as long as you have to do it, so to speak. So you're sitting there and now you, you, they recruit you, you're on your own. And then you're sitting there and then make me laugh comes about and they get you on. Now you must've gotten a lot of been recognized a lot. Cause, cause one, cause you have a different look. You've always had the mustache and the hair. I mean, you've had the the mustache like that before anyone had the mustache like that. And a lot a lot of people watch Make Me Laugh. And Make Me Laugh was I I used to sit there and it would just crack me up because I would always sit there and my mom would be like, How don't those how are they not laughing? And my dad would go, Oh, they're plants. I go, Dad, they're not no, they're plants. Not. I know. But that's just what was my dad's thing. Oh, like he didn't like Seinfeld because he is like, I don't like his face. I'm like, and him and David Brenner, I don't like their faces. I go, but uh, so what were you starting to get recognized when you went out? And did, and being on that show, did people want to sit there and make you want to make them laugh when you went out? Yeah, and the great thing about that show is the the people didn't know if they were going to be called up. So like, if you got involved, you know, in the the world of the show and you're laughing, and all of a sudden you're called up, you know, you're oh gosh, I got to go up against. Them. I think they're funny. Oops, you know. Um, and I really think that make me laugh was the show that started the comedy boom and i'll tell you why at that time there was the tonight show and if you went to work uh the next day and a guy said man did you see the guy in the tonight show last night oh i missed him well you got to wait like six weeks for him to come back if he's hot you know a couple maybe two or three months well make me laugh you were on monday through friday and they were using the guys that were pretty hot at the comedy store at the time and there really were no clubs outside of like really the coasts really and uh Make Me Laugh would shoot two or three weeks in advance, and it was hot in like in Ohio and Michigan. There were a lot of so these comedy clubs. Uh, I think the, the there was a Cleveland and Detroit were the first ones. We'd start bringing guys. There was like six or eight of us that were doing the show regularly, they, and we taped two or three weeks in advance, and they would let us plug the dates. So if you were on Monday through Friday, and people came into work on Tuesday, they said, "Did you see the guy last night on Make Me Laugh?" Oh, gee, I missed him. Well, he's on again tonight. Okay. So by Friday, if you were, you know, if you had a role going, people by Friday, the ratings were like everybody was watching you. So when you started saying, I'll be in Cleveland in two weeks, the shows were instant sellouts. So 
they started selling out in Cleveland and Detroit. So they opened another clubs in, in Cincinnati and Columbus, and they started spreading through the Midwest, kind of just using the make me laugh guys. And they would pull in a couple guys because the guys that make me laugh were Howie Mandel, Gallagher, Mule Deer, myself, Kipadada, Denny Johnston, and Saget, Shandling. And a couple guys from the East Coast started breaking in, Mark Wiener, uh, Rich Scheidner. And they were kind of like the staples. Whenever a club opened up, those were like the first eight to ten weeks to get the club going. Now, when they were opening up, because it's funny because you say that, because they were it was newer, you know, the clubs. But when did they start doing the three-comic format? Because I always think, like, that's when I started out. You know, it started as MC and a feature. Now you see there's like 18 right. acts on a thing. But when you guys were going out, let's say, I mean, to Cleveland. Right. What were they flying you out? They were flying us so, out. And there'd be how many of you on the show? There would just be three. Okay. They, would get, they had a couple local. Some of these towns had locals uh, or guys close enough to drive to. So Detroit had a good comedy community at that time. There were, Tim Allen was starting out and Dave Coulier and I'm trying to think. Cleveland had uh, Drew Carey. These were all guys that, you know, I used, to, you know, on the bills when I came into town and we're all still good friends now. Um, so, yeah, they would have little local communities, and usually it would be a, a, an opener, middle, and, and the headliner. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, then then the boom started, and there were more clubs than there were comics. Right. So you had a lot of hacks coming in just there for the party. And I think there's been a, a thinning of the herd since then. You know, there was a big boom. And you can't fool people if they've seen good comedy, you know. So you were going out. So you, when you once, because make a, make me laugh was so big that you were getting booked all the time. I mean, basically, you were, were you just getting called? Did you have to find work? Or did they no, just there know? Was a, there was a time where I was booked like a year and a half in advance, and I would leave gaps for you know big gigs and stuff. But uh, yeah, it was uh, you were booked, you know, and a lot. Of, and you, you, then I got picked up for tours a little bit, the Western Swing with Christopher Cross when he was really hot, and did some dates with the, the Starship. So you'd start doing some bigger shows, too. And, uh, you know, that was always fun. Well, tell us about your act, because your act was very different. I, I, there's a diaper involved and stuff like that. It's like, <laughs> no, I mean, you think about it, though, because, you know, in, in the beginning of the con, like as you said, people didn't know what was going on. So if they come out to a club, and honestly, you have really no idea what to expect, because the way bookers would do it is, you know, if I was an opener and or if I was a feature and I talked about, kids and family they wouldn't have the headliner talk about kids and family because people are going we don't want to hear about it so i mean what what, what was some of the stuff in your act and how did people react to it because it was very different right well i tried to do the kind of show i'd want to watch okay you know so i i did a lot of props i did some music and i did some stand-up you know someone once said it was a three-ring circus with a mustache and then yeah. they, then they <laughs> ran away uh but i uh i tried to you know i i try to keep something going at all times i'm pretty much boom 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 because uh, that's the kind of show I'd like to see. And and uh, over the years, the attention spans of everybody have shrunk to the point where they're at where I'm at now. Right. Because I do, you know, I don't do long stories. I do props, but they're quick. I'll do a song, but it's, uh, you know, I try to make uh, it, it funny all the way through. Now, do you, do you play a guitar? Or? I do on some. And if I've got, like, I've had a couple videos out. So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me if I'm uh, dancing to the video. I had a, one out to... Uh, it's on the internet. Uh, Don't you wish your boyfriend was bald like me? And I've got another one uh, out. My current one is Don't Drive with my band Noggin Blast, okay. which, by the way, just uh, I'm a little proud of this. The sax player Scott Page from uh, from Pink Floyd, Super Tramp and Toto, and Burley Drummond from Ambrosia and Tin Drum. Now, how do you get those guys? I don't know. I mean, I ask them cool? and they go, okay, yeah. I, I mean, it's like it's like it's it's funny because you know you, you think. In musical comedy, you know, there's Weird Al Yankovic, you know, and then there's, but you think about guys at the club and the guitar doing a song parody. They only last like two seconds. You know how it is. Like, right. hey, but so, but there's, you're getting these, it's like Mark Eddy plays with, uh, you know, Mark Eddy. Uh-huh. He plays with these different guys too. So it's like, you're getting these cool musicians like Ambrosia's a great, but these are great bands. I mean, how do you hook up with these guys? I, I meet them. I ask them actually, you know, some of those guys live out in Thousand Oaks where I'm at. So, uh, yeah, I, we just kind of meet through mutual people about the time uh, when I f- recorded, and I should send you a copy of this, <clears throat> Marty Feldman Eyes, right. which was about the time uh, Weird Al was getting started. I just didn't feel like going that way totally. I did have an album out called Born to be Raised, uh, 
And uh, I had Eddie Money's backup band on that. As a matter of fact, the demo to Marty Feldman is, is Eddie Money and myself. See, I, they wouldn't let that. His manager wouldn't let that be released for reasons I can. I mean, I think I could play it now, but uh, yeah, but yeah, back then it's just, it's. Well, the, he was also in the hospital back then, okay. and they didn't want so I, you know. But I've got the tracks at home with Eddie Money and I. Uh, it is his band, pretty much behind me. With Dick Bright. I don't know if you know him from San Francisco. Okay. Now, so now, what were the days like, like the early days of comedy? I mean, it must have just been a different a different world because, I mean, it's just, well, first of all, it must have been hard as hell to travel with your guitar and your props. I mean, it must have been a pain in the ass sometimes. It was, and I used to have, I used to have a truckload of props. I sold my act to ZZ Top. <laughs> <laughs> no, I used to drive, uh, I had this big machine that had three blow-up dolls on it that I could hit different buttons and they would shake and shimmy and they were dressed up like the Iquettes and I would like uh, do, uh, you know, some dancing and stuff with, but it was on a big machine. I stopped doing that and I started, I had, but you know what? You go to these clubs and there's a different sound and light guy every night. Right. So, you know, I used to tell them, look, I'm here for five nights. I know there's going to be some mess ups the first night. I can deal with mess. Well, I'm only here tonight and tomorrow. And then so, <laughs> so I started whittling it down or doing stuff that just I could, uh, you know, coordinate from the stage. But yeah, I used to travel with just try. I remember Dave, Dave Coulier and I once drove from LA to Detroit. Okay, so you have a you're going to go a gig and you right, drive. Right, I'm driving. I have to be on television like at ten o'clock in the morning one morning. So we leave like three days in advance, and we're driving. And I take the first leg. I used to be able to drive like eighteen, nineteen hours straight. And I'm driving like eighteen hours. And I say to Dave, uh, after about eighteen hours, I said I can't keep my eyes open anymore. You're gonna have to drive for a little while. He gets in driving, and I I crash out immediately. And the next thing I know, he's shaking me, going, I need some rest. And I, I've, he's been driving 10 minutes. I go, <laughs> Dave, you drove 10 minutes. Anyway, we make it to Detroit. We're about a mile from where we got to be, and we have a half hour to spare on, like, a cross-country drive. And we get pulled over by the cops. And he goes, uh, what do you got in the trunk? And I go, well, I'll open it up, but let me tell you what you're going to see first. You're going to see three blow-up dolls dressed like the Iquettes. <laughs> And this is why you're going to see it. And when you open up my case, you're going to see two tits with propellers on them. And that's because when I do a thing with Baby Man where I'm wearing diapers and this guy's scratching his head. It's a Midwest cop. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm letting him know. And I used to have to do that also when I traveled. If I went to like Mexico or Guam and they go through your stuff, I go, let me tell you what you're going to see. You're going to see a, prepare, a pair of propeller tits. <laughs> and uh, this is why you're going to see it. So, yeah, it was now I don't travel with as much, but I still have to explain if I'm going to be searched or anything. This so is, what, what, what did the cop do? Did he let you go? He let me go only because I showed him and I. I no, no, no. Explain baby man. You know, the first night I did that was at the Westwood Comedy Store, uh, which was probably one of one of the two hottest rooms of all time. I consider that maybe the Cleveland Comedy Club which now the baseball stadium sits on that. Okay. Uh, they were incredibly hot. But the first night I did Baby Man, Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie just happened to be in the crowd together. And when I came out of this, I, I had this, I pretended I was a giant carrot. You tell the people what Baby Man is. Well, Baby Man was a character I used to do. And matter of fact, I made a film called The Adventures of Baby Man and George Carlin's in it. And uh, it was Kevin Pollack's first film role. Got a lot of comics in it. But on stage, I used to do a piece where I say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you've probably seen a man climb into a cage with wild beasts and staple their thighs shut. I can't even believe I remember this. <laughs> you've probably seen a man dive from a cliff into a wet sponge and extract its teeth. What you've never seen is a man go into a large orange bag and get into a large orange bag and become a stand-up carrot and i would do a couple jokes tease them a little bit and inside i was getting undressed and i had my <laughs> diapers on i don't know how you couldn't see it but i and then i would when i would hold it up and i would drop the care the the fabric and i would be standing there in diapers and the first night i did this in the westwood and my wife was there too but crowd went berserk in a diaper in a diaper <laughs> i crowd went berserk and then later on, I did a magic trick, and I brought this woman up on stage. And this never happened before either. This woman comes up on stage, and she's wearing, unbeknownst to me, she's commando. And she starts, because I had been on stage in a diaper earlier, she starts spinning around showing her commando. 
and the crowd's going berserk, you know, again. So that was probably the wildest night of Baby Man. <laughs> but what and you... in Cleveland, though, one night I came out of the bag and the whole audience was in diapers. They, While I was in my diapers, <laughs> they were taking off their clothes. And when I came out of the diapers, the audience was standing on their chairs in diapers. That's funny. Now, now what made you even come up with that idea? I mean, it's so bizarre. Yeah, I, you know, I was trying. This was back, you know, again, there weren't many. There was maybe a handful of us guys. And, and we didn't realize it back then, but we were dancing in magic, so to speak, because... You know, a typical bill, you know, would be Robin and, and, and Gallagher and Mule Deer and myself and Tom Dreesen and Letterman and Leno. That was a typical night. Um, so I was just thinking what, what you know, you, you had to be strong. That's how you built your comedy muscles. You were following somebody strong every night. So I was trying to think, what, what could I do that'll be funny? So my first thought, well, diapers would be funny, but I don't want to just walk up in diapers. So... I started putting uh, a bit around it, so I came up with this character, Baby Man, uh, who uh, you know accidentally breastfed for 26 years, <laughs> and uh, he doesn't have much superpowers. He can like fix a parking ticket, maybe rock a car. He can't really lift it up. So he's got. Uh, although in the comic book and the movie, he actually moved to where he can transmutate. He, bec- he actually the origins of Baby Man is a mistake in a lab, uh, a petri dish with all the elements uh, <laughs> necessary for life gets bumbled by a lab uh, technician, and creates Baby Man and the anti Baby Man, which is a banshee that can also transmutate, but not very well. Now, how did the other like? How did people? like react to this the first time they saw it because i mean i'm sure word gets out hey you know bruce bombs doing baby and i'm sure you know i'm one of these comics and you know shit like that makes me laugh i i I know there's so calm some comics really try to be so pure and all this there's a guy in philly named legendary wit oh i love legendary and i i mean i got out of comedy but then i when i a few years ago and i go back to see my girlfriend i said well you know what i'm gonna call the old clubs and i'm gonna go do feature sets, do 20, 25, 30 minutes. You know, so it's fun. And I got to work. I worked with him twice. And I and the shit just makes me laugh. And it's like, it's so rapid fire. And some people go, like, oh, it's props. I'm like, you know what? Even Carrot Top. Shit's funny. You know, I can sit there, you know, I was, I, you watch it and it's just so different that people don't understand. You have to be too, it's like writing a shitty joke. Like if you want to write a stupid joke on purpose, right? it's harder to write a stupid joke than a funny joke. I mean, that sounds weird, but it's just like with a prop. There's a joke in a prop. It's just not, unless you pick up and go, hey, I have a plate. That's not funny. <laughs> right. But if you say something, so I mean, how did that, how did the people react? How did other comics react? It's, they must have thought it was, they probably never wanted to follow you because it'd be impossible to follow a guy in a baby diaper. Right. No one wants to follow a prop comic or a ventriloquist. Because it's hard. It's hard. Right. Well, and again, it's comparing apples to oranges. I can understand that, you know, so... Um, but as far as, cause there was an elitism among some standups that if you have to use props, you know, my feeling was always, has always been, if there's a laugh there, why deny it? I mean, you know, there's so many laughs in the universe. If one's coming my way this way and it's not a cheap laugh, I've always said, even the cheap laugh is better than cheap silence. Right. Oh yeah. But, <laughs> totally. It's true though. But I don't do cheap laughs. I try to make my props kind of heady, you know, a little bit of thinking involved, uh, but yeah, if you can, you know, movies, you say, I'm sorry, you should do this movie on a blank stage and we should be able to imagine everything around you. No, look, I don't knock, st- look, there's a lot of times I go on and I just do stand-up. I don't need to do props. And there was a time when all I did was props and none of the shows wanted you to do, gee, we want stand-up, we don't like props. Then it got to the point where props were popular and I would show up like to do Arsenio Hall, where are your props? Oh, I thought I'd do some stand-up tonight. Uh, do you have any props in the car? Yeah. Well, can you get a couple of them? Right. So it kind of, the pendulum swung. So, uh, yeah, it, it. my feeling is it's kind of elitist. I don't knock stand-ups because I, I also write stand-up. But if there's a laugh, you know, if you can bring, it's somewhere between uh, stand-up and a play. Right. Well, it, it's, <laughs> it's like, you know, when you think about it, you know, if you watch like the movies like Airplane or Naked Gun or any of them, that's basically props right i mean the, the writing is you know when lindsey neils when the second baseman gets jumped on by a tiger funnier than hell right. as opposed to a woody allen movie where it's dialogue right. and you can appreciate both exactly although the early woody allen stuff with the props is very funny oh take yeah bananas is one of my favorite comedy take, films of all time take the take the money and run i remember watching that on pbs 
Channel 12 in Philadelphia. My dad just had it on. And I, I don't know if it was just because the uh, like the documentary style and the the gun that start take the gub and then the, <laughs> then the gun when it starts raining and right. he's got a hand it, this stuff is hysterical and you're right it was bananas and all of them even right. sleeper you know yeah. with, the, with holding the orgasmic ball and it's true and then you know everyone develops so now now during the time when this is all this comedy started you're doing a lot of TV stuff right now how is that was people just did you have to audition? Did people see and say, come on? And because your act was so different, it's got to be something like, uh, did they say, well, you know, we don't want you to do the baby because you might scare our audience because there's a guy with a big mustache with a <laughs> diaper. How did that work? I mean, did they, did they tell you what you had to do? No, actually, I ended up doing a, um, quite a bit of game shows. I did a lot of Hollywood squares. <clears throat> I did, uh, you know, password, super password match game. Um the funny story on Hollywood Squares, they had a Hollywood Squares match game hour. And whoever won got to pick whatever the celebrity they wanted to go through. You went At that time, you went through like 10 letters in a row. They could start anywhere. 10, and they gave you a clue. If you got all 10, you won whatever the jackpot was. It was up to 30000 The guy picked me. He, was, he had a cast on and he had a beard. And he was telling us before the show that he was in the CIA and that he'd been monitoring conversations and stuff in Turkey and Alaska and blah, blah, blah. He picks me. And we run through all 10 letters. You have like 30 seconds or whatever it is. We do it like in 10 seconds. He, he, I could say, if the word were duck, I could say microphone, and he went duck. Right. Okay. <laughs> so when the show airs, unbeknownst to me, because at that time I was on a show called Year in the Life, all day long on all the news stations, they're showing me and this guy saying, felon wins on match game Hollywood Squares hour, but they don't say which guy's the felon. <laughs> so I call home for my messages. My wife goes, every news place in the... The world is calling here. Are you? A, your family's calling. What'd you do? I, I didn't do anything. What had happened was people saw him on TV win his money, and they recognized him. He was wanted for credit card fraud. He took a, a BMW out of Atlanta and drove it up to Alaska. So anyway, they, they tell the guy. They, they call. They try to get a hold of They can't find him. Okay? And then he calls and says, as soon as he's on TV like that, he calls and says, look, uh, I got to come and pick up my check. Uh, I'm I'm being CIA sending me to Alaska. They call his mother. She doesn't know. She says she doesn't know where he's at. They tap her phone. They know where he's at. He comes to the <laughs> he comes to the studio to pick up his check. And the FBI is waiting for him. They chase him through the building. They find him standing on top of a toilet. So that's just insane. That's so that's so nutty. So now now you also you started doing guest appearances on TV shows. Right, I got I became kind of a regular on Stalker Channing show. Which was that that was a uh, variety show? No, it was a uh, it was a sitcom. Actually, I was brought on as a as a guest. I did a show as a uh, as a, the guy that worked at a health food store and it went over so well. They said take the weekend and figure out how to work that character into the show regularly and we'll also hire you to write. So I came in on Monday and said, how about I'm a security guard at the station? It was a, she worked for like a consumer advocate, like a, like a David Horowitz kind of okay. guy, Stalker Channing did. Ron Silver was the guy. Okay. So it was a, you know, it had Ron Silver, Stalker Channing, some other big stars. And so I worked myself onto the show as a regular. I was the security guard and every week I have a scene with Stalker. How was your transition to acting? Just because, I mean, we know, you, you know. You're on stage, so we know that's one thing. But a lot of times, it's it's not it's not the same thing. And and plus, because you know, you said your mind goes so fast that it's it's not you're not in control now. Was that a hard transition for you at first? Well, it was funny because on on Stalker Channing, I was brought on as a guest, and during the table read, I added like five or six lines, not necessarily for me, but just how about if they did this? And the executive producer called me aside and they said, Well, why don't you want to write on the show? So that's kind of how that happened. Um, and then I wrote uh, on uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway for about three, three and a half seasons. Uh, not Everything on there is improv. I mean, I, I was blown away by what those guys do. But I would write uh, the jokes uh, f uh, with another guy uh, that uh, we would write the ones at the top of the show and going into commercial. Like, the points don't matter like, you know, those, those things. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, so I've kind of been able – and then on when I was on uh, – Fox's Comic Strip Live and Sunday Comics and America's Funniest People, 
I got to write and direct my own pieces. So yeah. I did these little short films. Now that must that probably went that went back to your film school days. I mean, it's, right. it's like full circle. It went back to the UCLA. So what would you find? What would you decide to do? I mean, you said in your early film student stuff, you had Letterman and all these guys in them. For these, how long were the, how long were the pieces, and how did you decide how to write them? And was it taken from your stand-up? Yeah, there was no. There were I did about uh, they were anywhere from like oh, about a minute to three or four minutes each, and I brought in guys like Larry Miller and uh, uh, Jeremy Kramer and uh, a lot of other guys to be in some of them. I had a character called Dimples the Cow and Bruce, and uh, you know I was responsible for like one piece a week. I would either do a live piece with the host, with like Dave Couillier or Tony Katane on America's Funniest People, or whoever the host was on Comic Strip Live or Sunday Comics. Or I would have a video they would throw to. So I gave Steve Sharippa uh, from yeah. Sopranos. Yeah. He was first film pieces with me, a piece called Chia Man. Maybe I'll put it up on Facebook in the next couple of days. Uh, but uh, yeah, he was on my one of my film pieces. So I would, uh, that was a lot of fun doing those, getting back to film. And then later on, uh, regardless of what you heard or who you've heard it from, I'm the co-author of Letters from a Nut. Right now, I I I sat there and because I Google do my research and it came up and it said it was written by you or it was written by Barry Martin. No, was it Barry Martin? Barry Martin, right? So what 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 what's the controversy well, about that? If you go to my website and scroll down a little, you'll see a video that I responded. And your to. website is brucebaum.com, and that's B-A-U-M. Bruce B-R-U-C-E B-A-U-M.com. And there's a picture of me on The Simpsons. I did an episode of The I Simpsons. I want to talk about that, too. And if you scroll down a little, uh, you can see the, my answer. They went on, the, the book, Letters from a Nut, was basically written mostly at my, all the live sessions were kind of done at my house. I wrote all three books. You can see the contracts, every all the, the information I give. And for some reason, and I think this is, Jerry Seinfeld went on Larry King and the Today Show and said Barry wrote the whole thing. You can look at my evidence. I think this is one of the reasons people are upset with the upper crust, the very wealthy taking things away from the and making there be no middle class because they've besmirched my name. I wrote those the first three letters uh, from a nut books and all the evidence is there at my website. Now, what are the books about? Oh, they're letters that we wrote to uh, corporations uh, and the people, famous people with ridiculous requests, and their their real answers back. So you would pick someone out, like, like give me an example. Example: We would write to the Los Angeles Lakers, saying, "I've got a medical condition," and it was under the name Ted Nancy, because at that time I was doing a lot of TV, and they thought, you know, they could have looked up and seen that it was right. It's, oh, that's a guy from right. Yeah. That's Bruce, you know. So, or is that Bruce? Is that the guy I make me? Is that the guy on America's Funniest? So anyway. Um, we write to the Los Angeles Lakers saying, I've got a medical condition that requires my rear end is exposed at all times, but I'd like to come to a game. I promise not to stand up and cheer unless Shaq really, you know, slams one. And they wrote back who to see, and they'll take us to our seats, and this is the real answer back. We wrote to places in Las Vegas, you know, is it okay to bring my own vending machines? Can I, can I gamble in my <laughs> shrimp costume? And it's their real answers back. We had the King of Tonga right back. So, how did you come up with the ideas? I mean, how did you come up with the whole idea of doing this? Well, the you know, uh, Barry came to me and said because uh, we were working on other projects together at the time. We were working on some television shows, and we had a couple other projects we were writing together. And he said, "What do you say we write some letters, you know, some fake letters, and see what kind of answers we get back?" And I said, "You know, uh, Don Novello, who some people know as Father Guido right. Sarducci, I said he kind of did that with the Laszlo letters, but it was pretty political." But let's do some research. If he's the only one that's done it, I really don't want to do it because that'll look derivative. But if it's a genre, even if it's a small genre, then okay, let's just make sure we do the best the best one. So we looked up, we went to, to bookstores, we, we went to uh, libraries, and it was a small genre. Even, I, I believe, Mark Twain, there's some great authors from way back that had written phony letters and stuff, but there were also a couple other books besides the Laszlo leather, letters. So we went ahead and did it. So we wrote, wrote the book together. Every letter was written. We would come up, say, like with 10 different ideas, as an example. And we would talk them through. Then we would split them up. Here, you take these five. I'll take these five. Write what we just said and take your own pass at it. And then we would come back again, jam on you know the stuff we both added to the five we had, switch them again so we had a pass alone you know, at, at, at every letter come back again, both sign off on it, and that's when the letter went out. So it was truly co-written in every sense of the word. 
So that's how the books were written. So I don't know how many, I mean, I show on my website, you know, notes that we both written on, uh, the, the, uh, the mailbox we had, it was under my, you know, I was the one responsible for it, the contracts from the companies. So after it got first got published though, weren't you worried that like people would start picking up? Like, like it's like anything. It's like, I always sit there and go, when I watch like these hidden prank shows, I'm sorry if I'm at Ralph's and some guy comes in dressed like a gorilla with his dick hanging out. <laughs> I know there's pretty much a chance that it's a reality. It's one of these right. prank shows. But did you ever worry that, or did you ever get caught in the act? No, but the ones that that looked like they knew, we either didn't put in the book. Anybody that looked bad, we didn't put in the book. You know, uh, but uh, yeah, we uh, again, it was long before all the pranks, prank stuff right. came out too. And I think, you know, it was also used as an example. A lot of companies used it as examples in the business world to how to write back to people. Okay. Because you didn't know whether the person writing was a loony was going to show. You better write this guy back because we don't want him showing up. Right. We would write, you know, saying, you know, I believe we're perform. This is Pip the Mighty Squeak, and I believe I'm doing a show for you next, you know. No, no, you're not. We don't have you booked here, you know. We, we A couple letters we tried to get booked as the Fat Beatles. You know, we we do the Beatles, but we all weigh like 350, 400 pounds. Our opening act is the skinny Bachman Turner Overdrive. So, and we would get answers back from the Nederlanders. I mean, from really big uh, promoters. We got the King of Tonga, Al Gore. That's amazing. It was just so funny. And and then it was different because they're not, you know, now now you can get bombarded by emails. But back then you had to mail it. Right. So, and people took it more serious because someone actually had to not only write it, they had to put it in an envelope, and they had to write it. They didn't just type it. You had to write it. Right. Or you could type it. And if you typed it, it was on a typewriter, and you had to put a stamp. Yeah, I mean, it was a big process. Now you can just sit there with an email, boo, 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 and send it out. Right. And I, so, I, But I do want to – I'll mention this quickly because I certainly oh, yeah. don't want to be a commercial. But yeah, I did write an own, my own book uh, with my own name on it, not under the name Ted Nancy. It's called On Hold. I only wrote it when I was on hold on the phone. So I used to get so ticked off being on hold. Right. So if I was on hold with the phone company or an airlines, I wrote fairy tales, fairy less tales where there's no fairies at all. And then little things that I just thought of, you know, that really were just thoughts. Now, where can they find that? This is, you can get this at uh, Amazon.com. You can get it, uh, I'll have it on Bruce. You know, I took it off because it was easier just to get it through Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Anywhere you buy books online, you can get it. And it's called On Hold. On Hold by Bruce Baum. And little things like, you know, I believe the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But what happens if you get beat up by a blind, toothless guy? Right. Can you just pull <laughs> off one of his cheeks and call it even? But, uh, yeah, so there, there's all sorts of silly little things in there. Now, that's cool. That's always because we do. That's right. That's That goes back to when we talked about when you're sleeping or when you're driving or right. you're on hold. You like, see, the problem with me is I get infuriated. I get, and I get, I mean, there's two things that happen to me. One is when I have to get my uh, medicine because I have a heart thing. I this, I love the CVS guy because it's he has such a polite voice. Hello, your stuff is ready. I'm like, okay, he's nice. But then sometimes I just freak out because you sit there and I just want to get through to an operator oh. and, and you have to go through. And I found out that what you do is you talk on the phone. You'll go, let's say it's for AT&T cable. I got to get through, you know, I got to talk to somebody. And then they'll go, if they, when they keep asking you, if you don't respond at all, by the third time, third question, they'll just transfer you. But that's right. When you're on hold, your mind thinks that's the same thing. It's, I, you know, there's enough jobs around that are needed that, you know, for instance, AT&T, for three years, or I should say two, because I can validate two, their message has been, uh, sorry if there's a wait, uh, there's been a lot of calls in Los Angeles. And we're working to resolve that problem. Really? You know how you resolve that problem? Hire more operators. Oh, yeah. oh no, I know exactly. And not in the Philippines where you can't. I mean, nothing against, you know, foreign operators, but there's a there's times they don't understand us and I don't understand them. And that has nothing to do with anything but communication. Oh, yeah. I went through that the other day. I know. With, uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's and what... I was I was freaking out. <laughs> I was just like, wait a second, because they sent my 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 card. My bank card had been, uh, whatever. Someone tr took out three hundred dollars and three hundred dollars at an ATM, and then they finally got caught on two hundred dollars. So they caught. So that's the thing. So I'm, I'm waiting for a new bank card. Well, they sent me a, another bank card from my old card because of the chip in it. So when I try to activate that, it doesn't work. 
So I'm yelling. I didn't mean to yell at the girl, but the same thing. I'm like, how? And she goes, your new car will come. I have a new car right here. How can you not put it on? And it was just, it's just, I know exactly what you're talking I, about. I, I'm, I call a phone company, right? And I get disconnected like four times. So right. on the fifth time, I go, look, I've been, this has already taken me an hour and a half. Uh, if we get disconnected, because every time you put me on hold after I've explained everything, I get disconnected. Can you please call me back? She says, we can't make outgoing calls here. And you're I go, you're, phone, you're the fucking phone company. <laughs> well, I said, what do you mean? You, I said, everybody else has a phone that can like tan you, can browse the internet, take videos, and return calls. Yeah, she, it's true. She, I know. It's like it's, I said. I said they don't trust you with a fucking phone. I said what you have is a walkie-talkie. It's not yeah. even a walkie. It's yeah. a talkie. It's not both. <laughs> I, I. She goes, will you please not swear? And I go, really? Fuck, 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 shit, shit, shit. <laughs> Who are you gonna call? Exactly. <laughs> So now I want to talk to you. Now, now the, the Simpsons. How did that come about? Because that that's that's like legendary crap. And that's I, uh, like- you know, coincidentally at the time, uh, Steve Sharippa was was uh, handling me uh, for a short while, and he gives me a call and says uh, they want you to do the Simpsons, and I said, uh, well, uh, where do I go to audition? He says, it's not an audition, it's an offer. It's you, Jay Leno. Uh, Stephen Wright, Janine Garofalo, and Bobcat. And I went, well, accept it. I don't care what the money is. Right. He goes, I think it's just scary. I go, I don't care. I grew up watching Bugs Bunny when you saw like Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra, you know, on Bugs. You go, I'm going to be on The Simpsons. So it was the one thing I did that validated me with my kids. Up to then, I had been on TV. I'd been on Hollywood Squares. (laughs) Make me laugh. They'd seen Dad run around in diapers. But The Simpsons. So... Yeah, I got to be on The Simpsons. It was uh, on the 10th season. I brought my action guy. You know, they gave me a jacket. I lost like 65 pounds, so I can finally wear the jacket they gave me. But uh, it validates the last temptation of Krusty. And Krusty's kind of like a George Carlin character trying to make, uh, trying to become a comedian. My biggest thrill in that show was that on the poster for the comedy festival in Springfield, I wasn't at the bottom of the list. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Should have been, but now, I wasn't. Now you know Bobcat through Krusty the Clown. Uh, no, no, the not uh, the shakes, shakes the clown. Shakes the clown. Now, now, how did uh, did you just meet him through the road, or how did that happen? Well, I knew Bob. We weren't buddy buddies, but I knew Bob, uh, and uh, they brought me in for an audition, and uh, I got the part. So I was like Ty the uh, the cocaine uh, dealing rodeo clown with Greg Travis. He was. Uh, we were both like drug smuggling. I carried the cocaine in my big red nose. <laughs> so, so now, 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 the stand up now, you said you perform a lot again. Now, now, do you go, do you do corporate stuff? I mean, what is, you know, because the thing is, and I've heard like for clubs, you know, you guys, you know, you and Shidner and all those guys, you guys were on the clubs when the clubs paid. Yeah. I mean, and the funny thing is, you didn't need you didn't need your merch to make the money. Right. They paid. And it's just different now. And clubs have changed a lot. And I notice now it's even now it's like clubs, you know, they have five acts, you know, and sort of, so what is like when do you still do clubs at all? Or I try to I do a lot of Indian casinos and casinos because those those crowds uh, appear to be the crowds that were in the clubs in the eighties okay. and nineties. There weren't that many casinos, and with the proliferation of those and the comedy rooms that they'll have or the comedy night they'll have once a week or once a month or the comedy show they'll bring in every couple of months. Those are great crowds. And they seem to remember the stuff you were in before. So I really enjoy doing those. It's kind of those crowds that, that, that saw you back then. So the clubs, comedy clubs now, you know, there's the A clubs and then the other ones are, yeah, you don't know what you're going to get. That's why I also try to bring guys that I've worked with before because it got to the point where you're in a town and you don't know what's going on in front of you. I'm sure you've had this problem and you got somebody that's just not compatible. Right. You know, and you go, it's, he's not, it's not that he's not good. It's just, you put Metallica and James Taylor on the same bill. Half the crowd's going to be pissed off the, uh, the whole show. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's so, so now, now, do you know, were you recently on a tour with some guys or were you going to do something with like Bill Kirk? We were starting to put together uh some stuff uh, like a make me laugh kind of thing. So we're kind of in the planning stages of that. You know, some of the guys are passing away. So right. get it going. And... Now, do you ever do like cruises or anything like that? Or just you don't like that gig? Uh, or... I don't want to, you know. Because I heard that's like, a, it's like you do one show and then you're stuck. And I always think about this. Like, let's just think about it. You do one show, you do a clean show, and then you do a dirty show. Now, my thinking is 
Okay, they're spread out during the week. Well, what if you go on that first night, you're the comic, and you go up and you suck? And that means the whole week. You don't want to leave your room. Yeah, because you got a lot of people going, <laughs> oh, man, they, that, that right. guy. And you know if someone gets drunk. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, that's, right. That must be the hard thing And about probably that. hurts the next show because they go, oh, you don't want to see that guy. Right, so, right. But on the flip side, if you kick ass, then now you don't want to go out because everywhere you go, you know, everywhere you're sitting, not, I'm very friendly in public. I don't, you know, but I'm saying a lot of guys, you know, you don't want to hang with, you know, the thing is kill, leave them wanting more and take off. And when you're in a club, you can do right. that. You go back to your hotel, but in a, you're right on a ship. You're with your audience all week. So, and you know, they're going to be like, can tell us a joke. You were so, right. And you're like, Oh God. So now, now what does your act consist of now? I, I do, uh, again, I do much more stand-up than I used to do, but it's out there kind of stand-up. Is it observational? or? Uh, I would hate to admit that I've observed a lot of the things that I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I pretty much, anything that comes into my head, so yes, there is some stuff that's observational, and then there's other stuff that's just out there, you know, like... Um, I don't know. Uh, you know. I'm trying to think of something that's never really happened. That uh, uh, my uncle just paid to have cryogenics done. That's where they freeze you when you die till they have a cure of what you've died from. Then yesterday died of hypothermia. Right. Now that didn't really happen. Right. So now are you, are you, are, you, are they more one liner on, on that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was just boom, boom, boom. I try to like you know. How do you remember that? I, I always think of like it's like I always sit there and go, you know, like like a guy like John Mendoza, you know. One liner, one liner, and and it's like he's great. I love John. How do you? Could you sit there and you think? And I always say, if you know, write a new five minutes. Well, if you're doing one liners, you got to write. That's a lot of damn jokes. Right. And then how do you remember them all? Because do you have a certain order? Do you go? I'm going to go in order. I mean, it must be tough. No, I don't have an order. I kind of kind of know what I'm going to open with, and I kind of know what I'm going to close with, hopefully. <laughs> Uh, and in the middle, I have a body of work that I draw from, and I really don't. You couldn't walk in 17 minutes of my act into my act and I'll be at the same place every night. You know, okay. there's guys that do that. Oh yeah. Next. Now, if you're at a place like a casino, you know, there's been times where you're doing two shows on Friday and three shows on Saturday. And you might want to do a little bit of order by the third or fourth show, because when you're switching it up by that third show, Saturday, you're going, did I do that the first show tonight? Did I do that last night? Right. Did I do that already tonight? This show? So sometimes you kind of go in, in an order if you've got lots of shows, like in a s small amount of time, but I still try to keep my head together, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and mix up at least the middle to make it interesting for me. Cause that way I can also judge where the audience wants to go. If they're, you know, digging this kind of stuff over here, I'll take that for a while and then I'll lead them where I want to go differently than I would if they, you know, if I had to bail on that early you know, I see that I need to come back to there later, you know, so it's, I don't want to be locked down. That makes it more enjoyable for me also. Do you ever do baby man anymore or no? Man, it's been a long time. Now I'm back down to diaper weight. Yeah. So, so you said you lost 60 pounds. What yeah. made you decide to lose weight and how'd you do it? Well, uh, about 15 of it was through cancer. Okay. I had head and neck cancer back in 2012. So it took me about eight, eight weeks of, uh, radiation and about one day a week of chemo. Uh, but I lost my voice. You know, it, it takes about a year to recover, okay. you know, but I was really lucky. I beat it. So I lost about 15 pounds that way. They thought I was going to lose like 40 or 50. <laughs> they said, you know, when you start this, you know, uh, we're going to be with the throat. Do you want us to put a feeding tube in your chest? And I said, why? Is it going to hurt or will I not be able to get food down? They said, it's going to hurt. I said, I'll put up with the pain. I'm not getting a feeding tube. Right. Well, I ended up, well, I went through, there were bad days, but not as bad as a lot of people went through. I would go into my uh, chemo and there would be other people and they're all drinking stuff, you know, and I'm undoing, you know, beef wraps, right. you know, I can't taste it, but I can chew it and swallow it. So I didn't lose as much because I really, I'll tell you something else. I was given all these, uh, prescriptions to take and, uh. With all the side effects, I admitted to my radiology, well, all my doctors, that I did smoke cannabis. And they all said, well, you didn't get this from that. Uh, but they said it might help you get through it. So I never took one pharmaceutical with all the side effects. I, I vaped organic cannabis, and it got me through without taking anything. So, uh, so that... 
when I after I I lost a chunk that I could never lose before. I could never lose that 15. And right. then I said, "Wow, you know, I'm on my way down. Now I'm on my own." So I started boxing. So I took some boxing. Uh, I joined a boxing gym, and I just shed it. You know, when I went under 200, I went, "Wow, I haven't been under 200 for years." Then I broke 190, and I went, "Wow." Then I got down to like 180. I'm at 183, 184 now, which is my playing and wedding day, uh, weight. So, you know, uh, can, I, I really look at that as it saved my life because, you know, you're on the road. Even I've gone back on the road since. You go in the South, everything's fried. Right, and it's all just heavy. It's lard, it's lard, good, lard. But it's good food that they fry. Oh, yeah. I'll have some zucchini. Okay, and it comes fried. back fried, <laughs> you know. so Even the fish, like, oh, I'm going to eat healthy. Yeah, cat, some catfish. Catfish fried. fried right. With, the, with yeah, the sauce on it. Right. I just, want, I just, fried. Wanted, yeah. I just wanted fish with some, you know, with some just like some olive oil and some seasoning. Right. Oh, no, no, we don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't know how to do that. Right. So it, it kind of, because now I've maintained my weight, I exercise, I've gotten off all meds. So uh, as as tough as it was when I went through it, I kind of credit it with, because I don't eat beef anymore. I'll eat fish and some poultry, rarely be, And I love beef. I mean, I ate it. I grew up on it. So, you know, it helped me. I'm, in, I'm probably the best shape I've been in since college. So um, it was bad, but it, but it, but it, it that's weird how things help. When I had my heart condition, you know, I sat there and I, I, I quit smoking and I just started eating healthy. And it was a bad thing that happened. But then I think like anything, it's like, well, you know what? You know, some people, they just ignore it because they don't give a crap. And it's like, I want to live. You know, I don't want like, right. I know people sit there and go, you know, well, if I die, really, if you if you die next week, you don't care. Well, it's you, the people you, say, be in, you know, when your time comes, it comes. No, 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 no. 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 Yeah. They, you, you're given some choices. Nobody says there's nothing. Exactly. And and if you're an idiot and don't want to like not bump into the wall, that's your fault. Exactly. You know? I'm going around it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so now any, any gigs coming up? Um, I'm actually working on a brand new comedy site called Noggin Laughs and, uh, it'll be up in about a month or two. Uh, and it's all original stuff by me. I'll be doing a new 10 to 15 minute show every week. So, and then in about eight weeks after that, I'll filter some of the edit versions onto the other things like YouTube and daily motion, but I want this to be somebody that nothing can close down and nothing can stop me. So it'll be new stuff. I've got a couple new cartoons that I've been producing. Uh, so it'll all be stuff that hasn't been seen before and I'll serialize the adventures of baby man movie on it also. Okay. Now, now where can people find your work now though? Like on your website, is there clips? To, is there yes. stuff or is it all on YouTube? Where well, if you go to brucebomb.com and you scroll down, there's a couple links to YouTube. I've got a piece up now called, uh, women in prison with Bruce. And that's Marsha Wallace is in that. Okay. Remember her? She is oh, one yeah. of the voices, Mrs. Crabapple. And, and she's also from the Bob Newhart show years ago. I've got another piece, I think, on there of uh, Marty Feldman eyes. I think a bogus classic is up, and then David Crosby Gone Wild. So those are up on, and the links are from BruceBaum.com onto YouTube, or you can go to YouTube and look for it. But uh, when uh, Noggin Laughs opens up, there'll be a big splash. I'll put it on Facebook and BruceBaum.com, and I'll give you a little call if you want to mention it to Oh, I to will your definitely. Beats. Now you, uh, you really can't do the Crosby anymore because you're thin. I know. I it's can like do people, you don't know. He looks so much like David Crosby when he is heavier, but now it's like, and David Crosby's never going to get thin. Right. And I've had people that wouldn't believe I wasn't David Crosby. I've had people come up to me who tried to sell me a light show. I've had people, I go, no, I'm not David Crosby. Now do you tweet? Are you a Twitter? I've got a Twitter account, but I really don't tweet. Everybody tells me I should tweet. You got to tweet. I'll start tweeting. Do you Instagram? No, I, I Facebook. It. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna have to start doing all Cause those. Because Instagram's good because you can put short videos up. It's great. How long can they be? I don't know. A little while. It's not like Vine. You can do long videos. Okay, I've got. I know I've got. My daughter's really into that. My daughter works at Apple. She just uh, she, she'll help you out. Yeah. And now Facebook is Bruce Baum. BruceBomb.com and at Facebook, I'm Bruce Baum. Okay, well, I want to thank you for coming on. I'm glad we set this up. Thank so you. People, go check his workout. Just, I always say, IMDB these people and find out. Go see, you know, Shakespeare. Let's go watch this stuff. So follow him. Uh, go to his website, BruceBomb.com. Go to my website, CooperTalk.net. I have over 460 episodes up there. I'm posting all the time. Uh, you can also find those episodes on iTunes or Stitcher. Type in one word, Cooper Talk, and then you'll find them. Or if you have a uh, Android phone or tablet, go to the Google Play Store, type in one word, Cooper Talk, and I have my app. And as soon as I post the site, show to my website, it goes there, and you can just listen to it on your phone, and it's great. And uh, you can email me, cooper, at coopertalk.net. I always respond to like to hear what's going on. 
Twitter, it's at Cooper Talk. I tweet all the time, especially during this political stuff. I just make jokes. I'm doing football playoffs. I just make harmless, fun jokes. And Instagram is Cooper Talk one I put some good pictures up of food, and that's the food. You have to get my cookbook, StopTheSalt.com. StopTheSalt.com. It's the uh, low-sodium cooking for one. 120 recipes I wrote after I got out of the hospital. Uh, easy to make. No pictures, no ingredients that are too hard to find. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. You don't need cumin. So go buy that. Go to my website. You can get it at Amazon, but I make more money if you go StopTheSalt.com, and I'll sign it. So that's about it. And just keep listening. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, Take your vitamins, and I will talk to you guys next week.